From Yahoo Finance, this is Electionomics. I'm Rick Newman. And I'm Alexis Christophorus. Thanks so much for joining us. As we enter the home stretch of the election season, we thought it was appropriate to take a look at President Trump's record on trade. One of his signature goals of his presidency was fixing U.S. trade relationships with places like China and Mexico and also reducing the U.S. trade deficit. Joining us to talk about this on Electionomics is Chris Rogers, Supply Chain Analyst at Pangeva, a unit of S&P Global. Chris, uh, Rick and I are so pleased to have you here today. Um, I want to begin with uh, President Trump's sort of war on the trade deficit. Uh, The latest figures show the U.S. trade gap on track to exceed $600 billion this year. That would actually be the highest since just before the financial crisis of 2008. Has President Trump lost his battle against the trade deficit, do you think? Well, thanks, guys, for having me along today. Uh, Has he lost the battle with the trade deficit? Well, the numbers say yes, absolutely. Um, I think it's worth just stepping back and saying, you know, why does he see the trade deficit as being an issue? And and the answer is it it comes from a zero-sum view of, of international trade. So, you know, if you have a trade deficit, it's like you're giving somebody money and getting nothing back. And, and that's why it's been um, such a focus. Now, the total trade deficits kept going up. And, you know, that's because Americans are still buying things, right? Most economists will tell you trade deficits are more about the relative balance of saving and spending. And, you know, you had a, a huge, great stimulus package um, back at the start of the administration. And you've had a, you know, a decent rebound after the uh, coronavirus lockdown. So it's perhaps not a surprise that the, the trade deficits kept going up. Um, you know, the issue is you know, which parts of the trade deficit have gone up and you know, which ones have gone down. And in that regard, he's been successful in some places and less successful in others. Hey, Chris, uh, you're preaching to the choir here about uh, trade <laughs> deficits. I mean, we've, we've reported so many times no one should get wrapped up about the number. Uh, we, we, we're not getting ripped off. We're not just giving dollars to China. We're getting stuff. We give them paper and we get stuff in return. Um, mm. Exports are important. I mean, you do want strong exports um, because that's, those, those are your domestic uh, producers of both goods and services selling stuff overseas. So how has, um, how has that done during the last four years? Yeah, I mean, overall, exports haven't really gone anywhere overall kind of point to point they're they're pretty much where they were now it's difficult right now to say are we looking at steady state or not because again we're only just coming out of the the downturn associated with coronavirus before we came into this there was you know some decent growth but by no means the kind of lift off that you you'd hope from a, a presidency that had promised you know onshoring of jobs and a, a radical change in the way the supply chains work and there's a there's a lot of different components to that, but you know, in very simple terms, you can say, look, number one, uh, exports to China have actually kind of went down before they've come back up as a result of this trade deal. Number two, um, the fact that he's gone to war with other um, countries and regions in trade have meant that they've put tariffs on, so that's cut exports. And then the other big part, of course, is that commodity prices have come down. And the big part of the U.S. export base is things like oil and soybeans and so on. And right now, they're a hell of a lot cheaper than they were four years ago. And, you know, as a consequence of which you're working just as hard, but maybe not bringing as many dollars in. So the exports just haven't gone, you know, as far maybe as as people would have hoped. So we're now, uh, what, six or seven or eight months into the coronavirus pandemic. 
Uh, now, Trump uh, signed this so-called phase one trade deal with China. He finalized that in January. And then basically uh, the coronavirus uh, exploded everywhere. So um, to give Trump the benefit of the doubt, um, what did the trend lines look like before coronavirus really um, cut back on trade everywhere? Yeah, sure. So in terms of the trade with China, um, it had pretty much just been a, a straight line downwards until the, the phase one trade deal had been signed. Now, we're beginning to see, so we look at the data on a, on a month by month basis. And you know, the, the data for August was beginning to pick up. So China effectively committed to increase its purchases this year versus 2017 uh, by around $200 billion through the, the year overall. Now, as of August, they were nearly $50 billion behind schedule. And as you mentioned, a lot of that's down to uh, coronavirus. But when we pull out, there's kind of three big components to look at. Uh, one is agriculture, uh, which is basically soybeans and pork and so on, where you know China's made some big purchase commitments and it seems to be uh, delivering on those. Uh, in terms of pork, obviously, they've had the whole issue with swine flu over there. So there's been a natural draw uh, to bring products in. Corn's been pretty strong as well. So agriculture, not worried about. You've got state-owned firms buying a, a pretty clear commodity. On the energy side, uh, they've been um, a little bit behind schedule. That's partly because of the oil price, um, but also partly because just people everywhere are just driving less than, than they were. The big one where there's a gap is manufactured products. So that's meant to be everything from you know cars to jet planes to pharmaceuticals to you know the whole the whole gamut. Of, of manufactured products. And, and there, you know, China's a long way behind schedule. And that's partly because it's not just state-owned enterprises buying those things. And also the aerospace industry is, you know, not going anywhere. So there's been no big orders of new jet planes to, to help bolster the numbers. So, you know, coronavirus adjusted, it, it looks like China's kind of well behind uh, schedule. We had some data this morning from the Chinese government um, that, uh, that that showed a, another pickup in imports from um, from the United States. So, you know, they're keeping on track. But at the end of the day, we're still not back to where we were in 2017. Never mind the kind of sunny uplands of a 200 billion dollar increase versus 2017. Can, can you tell if China um, if they're trying to keep their word? I mean, there was this whole question when Trump signed the trade deal: Would the Chinese actually do what they said they would do? Um, I mean, do you think? Can you tell whether China seems to be sincere about meeting those purchase uh, levels uh, and they just got derailed by coronavirus or they were not sincere and they're using coronavirus as an excuse? Um, tough to see what what the, the Chinese government's intent and, and actions are in, in the way you've described it. The numbers would suggest that the purchases just, just haven't been happening. And I, I think part of that, uh, part of it we also need to bear in mind is that the phase one trade deal was always formulated with the phrase subject to market conditions. And so market conditions have changed. Now, the stuff that's bought by state-owned enterprises, you know, particularly, as I mentioned, on, on agriculture and energy has been going up. Um, medical supplies have also been going up. It's a big surge in, in supplies uh, going from the US to, to China. And that's not just going to be COVID-related stuff. That's kind of the higher-end healthcare treatments, so things like uh, cancer treatments and so on as well. So, so there's a sign of success there. So, you know, I think it's worth bearing in mind the, as well, the intent when we were talking about the phase one trade deal back in January was that there'd also be a phase two 
trade deal that would cover things like uh, digital products, intellectual property, and a whole gamut of other areas. And you know, nothing's been happening there. Um, I think as a final point, you know, both sides said that they would come back in July and review the deal and say whether they were happy with how it was proceeding. They actually took a look at it two weeks later than they should have done um, with all the numbers I outlined and still said, we're fine, let's just carry on. So it looks like both sides are kind of happy or not unhappy with, with where they're up to. Chris, another thing the president has promised often uh, is bringing manufacturing jobs back to this country. And we saw that he renegotiated the NAFTA deal. We now have USMCA. He's got um, sort of mini deals with lots of different places, South Korea, mini deal with, e with the EU as he holds on to this sort of unilateral approach. Um, has, he, has he succeeded? Can he point to some successful data points when it comes to bringing manufacturing jobs back to the US? Do we have more now than we did before his presidency? Yeah, so again, it's the, this is gonna be every statistician's answer to everything for quite a long time. We don't really know because of coronavirus. So when you look at the, the jobs figures, you know, those are, are well down, um, you know, still across the board in, in most industries. So you know, it's very difficult to see within that how many jobs have come back. I think it's been notable how few companies have come up and, and, and said something along the lines of, as a result of the president's policies, we're bringing jobs back to America, because why wouldn't you tout that? Why wouldn't you run the, you know, we're, we're great for America thing up the flagpole? You've had some examples, Samsung and LG Electronics have opened factories, but they've been very clear that that's something they were planning to do for many years. It wasn't due to tariffs. Uh, the big Foxconn plant that was being built in Wisconsin has just not received its subsidy payments because it wasn't bringing as many jobs as it should have done. And in fact, when you look at how supply chains have shifted, both in terms of what we see in our data um, and also what companies are saying, um, when it comes to kind of moving out of China, what they've done is just move somewhere else. So Vietnam's been a big beneficiary uh, to the extent that actually President Trump's now launching a trade investigation of Vietnam. Um, Malaysia has been a winner as well. Um, and to a certain extent, Mexico has, has done well as well. Now, that's not to say that there haven't been successes in terms of renegotiating trade deals, which was a, you know, a prima facie objective. You know, that's something that, that the president's been very clear about from the get-go. So as you say, you know, the, 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 the NAFTA deal was, was uh, renegotiated. I still don't know if we're meant to call it USMCA or USMCA or, or something else. I know the Canadians call it CUSMA and the Mexicans call it TMEX. So everyone took what they wanted from that deal. But that deal won't actually have an impact on how supply chains are operating um, for, for quite some time. A lot of companies that have talked about rearranging their supply chains, particularly in the auto sector, are talking about kind of years to to adapt and, and to change rather than months. So, you know, arguably it would really only be the middle or an end of a second Trump presidency before you'd be able to say definitively have companies actually brought manufacturing jobs back to the United States because of President Trump's policies. Um, hey, you know, Chris, the, the general. Th sorry, please go ahead. Yeah, I'm look. I'm just looking at a couple of stats from one of your uh, one of your recent reports. Uh, so you highlighted uh, last 12 months. So these numbers are the last 12 months compared with 2016. Yep. Washing machine imports down 43 uh, percent. Yep. Solar panel imports down about 15 percent. That is 
that is what you want to accomplish. I mean, well, if you're somebody like Trump, that is actually what you want to accomplish with tariffs, yeah. right? You want to make uh, imports more expensive to uh, incentivize domestic manufacturing. So the catch there, if you're a consumer, if that works, that means the price goes up <laughs> here uh, when you're buying the product here. Do you actually know if that has happened that in, in, in instances like that, washing machines, for example, uh, while imports have declined, the prices have actually gone up here in the United States? Yeah. So, I mean, if you pick off these kind of what I call the, the special trade actions, so not kind of walloping after China, but these these individual elements on washing machines, the imports have come down. But as I mentioned, that's partly because Samsung and LG have set up factories in the, the US. And in fact, that's the result of a kind of game of whack-a-mole that's been going on for for many years where they started off in South Korea and then they moved to China and then they moved to Vietnam and they finally moved to the US. So, so those washing machines have, have been moved to the to the US. Um, the pricing is difficult to get at because the mix of different types of machines have changed over time. Um, but certainly in the immediate aftermath of when those tariffs were announced, you did see a lot of the retailers say, well, we're going to have to put prices up. Um, I think there's also been a degree of burden sharing as well. So US import price inflation um, you know, ha hasn't gone up as much as you might have expected. In fact, the imports from China um, import price inflation actually has come down over the past couple of years. So it's maybe a sign that Chinese exporters are sharing some of the burden there. When you look at solar panels, um, the, the shipments came down, but that's partly because there was a rush to get solar panels in the door in 2016 because President Trump was never really a friend of renewable energy. So I think there's a bit of a rush there. It has been notable that there's been a real surge in imports of solar panels uh, to the extent that actually um, the president made a, an announcement in the past couple of days that he was going to tighten up the rules on, on imports of solar panels. The big one, though, has been steel and aluminum. And in that regard, you know, there has been a, a reduction in imports of steel and aluminum. Um, but if you look at the pricing of some of those products, they've gone up. And, you know, frankly, put the U.S. metals industry still isn't in a great way. Um, interestingly, I was talking to a, a, a former colleague who's a specialist in the metals industry, and uh, they said, look, you know, in the in the good old days when you use tariffs to change behavior, the tariffs were 100 percent or 200 percent. And that made a real difference. The steel tariffs that Trump put in place were 25 percent and the aluminum tariffs were 10 percent. Many companies have just said, well, it's a cost of doing business. We'll put a little bit on our customers, a little bit on our suppliers and a little bit off our profits and we'll just move on. Chris, you said um, uh, China actually has. Uh, sped up its um, purchases of U.S. agricultural goods. Um, does that suggest that American farmers are um, getting back to being in good shape? Um, so yes and no. So on the yes side, yeah, their, their exports are going up. And one of the other data points we track is U.S. imports of agricultural machinery. And those have been going up. So you've got to presume that, you know, either the farmers are buying those machines or the suppliers of those machines think they they will be so so that's that's good on on the one hand on the other hand you know i'm not hearing great reports of how the um, harvest season's going or how planting's been going we're not kind of experts on on you know in u.s agriculture but you know you might be selling it to china but are you also going to be selling the same amount to other countries as well there's you know only a certain amount of soybean demand in the world so if if the u.s is if China's prioritizing the US, then Brazilian farmers, for example, or Argentine, Argentina's farmers may be selling for less and, and taking market share elsewhere in the world. So, um, yeah, we haven't magically created 
more demand for soybeans uh, than was there before. Did we lose it? We lost Alexis, it looks like. Uh, so, Chris, let me ask you to go just back to uh, this happens, by the way. You know, we're all doing this weird format. Alexis will magically rematerialize, I'm sure, any, any second. Um, just go back to what you mentioned about Vietnam, this whack-a-mole problem. Um, this has been one of the main criticisms of the Trump approach is that if you go after one country with tariffs, all you're doing is encouraging producers to go to another low-cost country and then another low-cost country after that. You also mentioned Malaysia. Is there a way to like do some kind of blanket tariff to, to prevent that from happening? Or is that just going to be an unintended consequence of tariffs almost no matter what? Yeah. Um, so, so we've seen with the, I think the, I use that whack-a-mole phrase because that, that was particularly the case in washing machines where there was a tariff case here, a tariff case there, and eventually they went for what's called a safeguarding tariff. So section 201 of the, of the trade act and, and that put tariffs everywhere. So it eventually got there, but it involved quotas and, and really high tariff rates. Now, the only way the president can kind of guarantee that we don't, you know, that we get all that manufacturing coming back to the U S as you say, is to have across the board, really significant tariffs. And, you know, that's, that's a real job of work that would involve uh, reviewing the most favored nation status tariffs that United States has. Um, it would also involve significantly higher tariffs than we've been talking about so far. You know, most companies would rather have a short supply chain be close to their customers. It makes you more agile. It makes you more responsive. It allows you to play the, you know, we're American, buy American or you know, insert country here um, card. So they would rather go, you know, in country, but, you know, the, they've got to maximize profits and, and to overcome that kind of lower cost base that you get from those other countries, you know, you, you really have to uh, to boost tariffs quite significantly. So this Vietnamese investigation, which is using the same mechanism that they use to go after China, is focusing specifically on currency. Because remember, you know, the US is still a country where the rule of law matters. And that's the only element where they've been able to, if you like, go after Vietnam generically, that and um, uh, the use of timber products, bizarrely. Um, so, you know, is that going to be enough to suddenly lead companies to go, no, we're leaving Vietnam and we're coming back to the US? No, they'll leave Vietnam and they might go to Malaysia. OK, are we going to have a review of Malaysian trade or Thai trade or even actually if you want to move closer to the US but still have lower labor costs, you go to Mexico. So, you know, we're, you know we've just had us. And we're back where we started, it seems, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. with yeah. the USMCA or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So so it's difficult. There's There's no... There's no great way to to use tariffs to to change that behavior. What what you have to do is is the hard work. It's you know reeducating your workforce. It's thinking about what you want your industrial uh, makeup to look like, and you know put in place policies that are going to meet that long term aim. Um, that's not frankly put the American way. That's not well, you know how market. That's not how market based economies work. But to change that behavior, what what you have to do is is the hard work it's you know re-educating your workforce it's thinking about what you want your industrial uh, makeup to look like and you know put in place policies that are going to meet that long-term aim um that's not frankly put the american way that's not well, you know how market that's not how market-based economies work has there been an example of any such po i mean you know united states is famous for never having any kind of industrial policy i mean we are a free market economy and so uh, we're never going to try to tell businesses what to do. But of course, there are all kinds of incentives and disincentives in the tax code 
Can you think of an example in recent history of what you just described? Um, well, there might globally, not be one. well, so globally, it's China. And, you know, what used to be known as making China 2025, and that kind of got brushed aside because it was a bit of a, a red rag to, to uh, the U.S. bull, as it were, um, as a big part of how that Section 301 review, so the big review of China that led to the trade war, um, that's, you know, that's what caused that was the government saying very clearly, these are the industries we want to go after. These are the employment levels we're going to need. Frankly put, these are the subsidies we're going to put in place. So, you know, the U.S. tax code could be used in that regard. And both, you know, President Trump and Vice President Biden in their platform statements have, have said they'll use the tariff code, excuse me, the tax code. I'm obsessed with tariffs. I spend my whole day looking at them. Use the tax code to um, provide incentives for those different industries. But, you know, it's a, that's a big job of work. And as I say, it's not just about... Um, the uh, the tax code. It's got to be about education. It's also, frankly, frank, frankly put, got to be about immigration as well. Getting the right people from the right places to do those jobs. So I do want to ask you about Biden before we have to wrap up. But just last question sure. about Trump briefly. Sure. Um, do you credit Trump uh, for anything he's done on trade? I mean, uh, I can say, um, you know, he has um, renewed. He has intensified the focus on China. Let's say, and what many people agree are trade abuses on China even if uh, he may have gone about, uh, you know, his solutions might might not be the right ones. But would you what would you say Trump has done right on trade? Yeah, sure. So I think the first thing is the, you know, NAFTA did need updating. You know, it, it was written in the mid 90s when the Internet wasn't a thing. So it's a lot that's been added to that. Um, the labor parts of it have been particularly important because that trade deal will be used as a template and as a, you know, how you're supposed to do it, not just for U.S. relations with other countries, but for other parts of the world when they're setting up trade deals. So I think that was you know, really important. Um, I think, as you mentioned with China, you know, right objective, wrong route. I'd say something similar for the WTO as well. You know, the World Trade Organization was dysfunctional and the way that the, um, the way that appeals to the WTO work just wasn't functional. But again, you don't sort those things out by breaking them. You know, that yeah. you effectively so, now have a free for all. So so those areas, you know, on China, on NAFTA, on WTO, you know, right objectives, not bad outcomes, but really fundamentally the wrong route. So, Chris, we've only got a couple minutes left here. Um, what have you been able to tell about Joe Biden's? Uh, and we have Alexis Christophorus back. She's going to join us for the finale here. Welcome back, Alexis. Uh, uh, what do you what can you, what have you been able to tell about Joe Biden's uh, plan for trade, what he might do differently? I don't I think there's a lot he has not spelled out. He has been mm -hmm. reluctant, it seems to me, to say whether he would keep the Trump tariffs in place on China, for example, or, or do something different. But, but what do you detect as you look at um, Biden's plan on trade? Yeah, sure. So the first thing is Biden doesn't have a plan on trade. He has a plan for jobs and a plan for geopolitics and trade drops out of the back of that. Um, he's been very clear that he wants to sort out the domestic economy before worrying about overseas deals. Um, he has talked specifically on trade, though, about following a multilateral approach. So alliance building around China, sorting out the WTO, looking to put in place better relations with allies that maybe relationships are not as good. And for us, the big differentiator between the two will be relations uh, towards the European Union. And, you know, for those of you who've been looking at this for a while, the TTIP deal that the Obama administration negotiated with Europe could come back at some stage. But that's all long term stuff. Um, 
We have had some indication um, from one of Biden's advisors, uh, Blinken, I think, said, you know, we will use tariffs as part of a broader plan. So I don't think those tariffs are going to go away anytime soon. You certainly don't want your first act in office to be, yeah, we're going to get rid of the China tariffs and make friendly with China. You know, a lot of it, finally, I would say, will be what Biden can do will be a function of whether he's got the Senate and the House with him as well. If he does, rock and roll. If not, that's going to be a challenge and we'll see a lot more stuff being done via executive order. Um, I think the final, final thing I'd say is that the president's ability to negotiate trade deals under what's called TPA comes up for negotiation again in the middle of next year. And that's going to be something that Biden's going to have to focus on. If he doesn't, he won't get anything done. All right. We're going to leave it there. Thanks for uh, picking up the mantle guys. Um, you know, technical difficulties abound and <laughs> I was a victim, but I'm back. And, um, Thanks so much for your time, Chris Rogers of, of Pangeva, which is a unit of S&P Global. And as always, you can follow me at Alexis TV News. And me at Rick J. Newman. And me, and Chris G.H. Rogers. Say it one more time. Sorry, and me, Chris G.H. Rogers. All right, sounds good. Everybody, thank you so much for being with us. We look forward to seeing you next time. Bye. Bye.